The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, good morning. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, your word tells us that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you came to be the light for the nations. Thank you for coming to rescue us out of darkness. And so as we look into your word this morning, Lord Jesus, would you open up our eyes to see your glory revealed right here in your holy word. Jesus, would you shine your light into our hearts and would you transform us to be more like you and even send us forth to shine your light to the world. And so now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during this Advent season, we are going to celebrate the truth that Jesus has come as the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is a glorious thing that the light of Christ is so bright and so beautiful that all of the darkness in the world cannot overcome it. And we need to cling to that hope because it is a dark world that we live in, isn't it? When you think about things like the hostility between nations and hostility within nations, when you think about the tragic events that seem to happen every week, like the man driving into a Christmas parade in Milwaukee this week, it's clear that that we live in a dark world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that there's darkness lurking in each one of our hearts, isn't there? We need God to deliver us from the darkness outside of us and from the darkness within us. And so it's really good news that Jesus is the light of the world. He came to bring the light of God, the light of salvation, to a world living in darkness. And Jesus is so gracious and so powerful that he can actually transform us and shine his light through us to the world. And so this morning, as we look into God's word, I think that the main point that Isaiah wants us to see is this. Be transformed by the light of Christ so that you can join in his invincible mission of shining light to the nations. That is the authoritative claim that this word makes on us this morning. Be transformed by the light of Christ so that you can join in his invincible mission of, bringing, of shining light to the nations. So that's where we're headed this morning, and we're going to take three steps to get there. Number one, Jesus' mission is to be the light to the nations. Number two, Jesus' mission will be accomplished. God promises that the light of Christ will shine to the ends of the earth. And then third, Jesus' mission will be accomplished through us, through his people, as we shine his light to the world. And so join the mission. Now, there's one thing that I want to make clear before we look into this text. You probably noticed as Bruce was reading that this passage is about the servant of the Lord. And of course, that leads to the question, who is this servant? When you look at the larger context of Isaiah, you see that there are actually four passages that focus on this servant. They're found in chapter 42, here in 49, then in chapter 50, and in chapter 53. And so, who is this servant? Well, the New Testament answers that, very, that question very clearly, that it's Jesus. 
Jesus is the servant of the Lord. Jesus is the light for the nations whose coming was foretold here in Isaiah 49. In the words of Isaiah 53, Jesus is the servant who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities on the cross. And so as we study Isaiah 49 this morning, we need to read this passage with Christian eyes. This is a prophecy about our Savior Jesus written 700 years before he was born. And as the passage begins, the servant himself is speaking to us. This is the Son of God telling us about himself through the prophet Isaiah seven centuries before his coming. It's really an extraordinary passage of Scripture. And so in verse 1 now, I want you to notice, first of all, who Jesus is speaking to. He says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. And so Jesus is addressing the far-off peoples, the nations, the Gentiles. This is a message that he wants the whole world to hear. We're going to see that this text is filled with good news for all of the nations, for us here in the Twin Cities, for the unreached peoples in India and in the Pacific Islands and in the Arab world and all of the unreached peoples. It is, and it is good news for the people living in your neighborhood. And so it's fitting that at the beginning of this passage, Jesus is, as it were, lifting up his voice and saying, listen to me, all you nations, all you peoples from afar, I have good news for you. And the heart of the good news is going to be found in verses 5 and 6 because those verses tell us very specifically about Jesus' mission to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But before we get there, verses 1 through 4 are going to tell us some very important things about Jesus and his mission. So I want you to notice three specific things here in the first four verses. Number one, the Lord prepared his servant, Jesus, to accomplish his mission. Starting in the second half of verse one, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. God has a battle to win, and Jesus is the ultimate weapon in that battle. He is like a a polished arrow in the Lord's quiver. His mouth is like a sharp sword. As God wages war against sin and Satan and death, as God fights for our redemption, you could say that Jesus is the silver bullet in God's arsenal. Secondly, the Lord will be glorified through Jesus' mission. Verse 3, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Did Jesus come to bring glory to God or did he come to bring joy and salvation to people? Well, the answer is yes. He came to do both. God is glorified through the saving work of Christ. As the gospel spreads to the nations, we get the joy and God gets the glory. Do you remember the song that the angels sang on that first Christmas night? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus came into the world so that God would be glorified and so that sinners like you and me could come to have peace with God and everlasting life. And then third, this passage foretold that Jesus' mission would not appear successful but its ultimate success would rest in the hands of God. Verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain. 
I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. When you think about Jesus' life, he was often misunderstood. He was rejected by countless people. He was despised and slandered. He was persecuted by the leaders of his own people. Many of his followers turned away from him. In his greatest trial, his closest friends abandoned him. And he died a humiliating, excruciating death. But Jesus also knew that his father would vindicate him. He knew that his suffering and death would not be the final word. He knew that the Father would raise him from the dead and exalt him to his right hand, and Jesus knew that his mission would ultimately be accomplished. And so Isaiah 49 begins by telling us, first of all, that Jesus was prepared by the Lord to be the silver bullet in his arsenal. Secondly, his mission was to bring glory to God, and then thirdly, Jesus' mission would look like a failure, but it would ultimately, ultimately be successful thanks to the power of God. When you think about that, isn't it remarkable just how much this passage tells us about Jesus 700 years before he was even born? This, this book is amazing. This is the inspired, holy word of God. It is absolutely true. And you can bank your life on this book. And so now, we come to the climax of the passage in verses 5 and 6. Here's where the, the mission of Jesus is spelled out for us. It says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So when you think about those verses, uh, verse 5 is clear that Jesus was sent to bring Israel back to the Lord. And of course, this was the focus of Jesus' ministry when he lived in this world. He said, for example, in Matthew 15, that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that wasn't all, was it? If Jesus had only come to save one people group, Verse 6 says that that would have been too light a thing for him. Jesus is capable of so much more than that. About three months ago, our family moved. And when we moved into our new place, God provided a lot of people to help us, including some brothers in the Lord who I think have the spiritual gift of lifting really heavy stuff. And as I was unloading the U-Haul truck, there were some boxes that were heavy and others that were very light, and I tried to give the light boxes to the kids to carry in. I didn't want to give a, a little box of stuffed animals to the, to the men. I, that would have been too light a thing for them. I'd rather have the guys carry in a dresser or some other furniture or heavy boxes full of theology books or baseball cards. If Jesus had only been sent to bring salvation to Israel, to one people group, that would have been too light of a job for Jesus. It would have been like giving him one little box to carry. Now, just to be clear, the Jewish people matter to God. You see that all throughout the Bible. It's not that bringing Israel to repentance doesn't matter to God, because it does matter to him, 
what verse 6 is telling us is that Jesus can just do so much more than that. Jesus can carry every heavy box. He can carry every heavy piece of furniture. In fact, Jesus can pick up the whole U-Haul and carry it on his back. And that's why verse 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus' mission is ultimately to bring the gift of salvation to the very end of the earth because the Lord is God over all the earth and he deserves the worship, the joyful worship of the nations. Listen to what the Lord says just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. The one true and living God, who is worthy of the worship of all the nations, has a gracious plan to bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. What a good and gracious God he is. And the very key to that plan of salvation is Jesus he is the one who is the light for the nations. And so I want to take a moment to ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light for the nations? This year during Advent, we're focusing on the fact that Jesus is the light. As, and as Isaiah, here in chapter 49, describes Jesus' work of bringing salvation to the world, he's giving us this picture of Jesus as a light. What does he mean by that picture? Apparently, God wants us to understand his son's work in, in terms of light shining in the darkness. So, what exactly does this picture tell us? Well, the book of Isaiah frequently speaks in terms of the contrast between light and darkness. And Isaiah is building on the fact that throughout Scripture, God is associated with light, and in contrast, Satan and sin and evil are associated, connect with darkness. We just mentioned a, a couple of texts in Isaiah that make this connection and this contrast between light and darkness. Isaiah 42, 7 talks about Jesus as the light for the nations, bringing people out of darkness. And it describes that gracious work in terms of opening the eyes of the blind. Just think about that. When you're in darkness, you're spiritually blind. You can't see God for who he is. God is the most glorious person in the universe, but if you're blind, then you can't see it. You can't see him for who he is. It's like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or Pikes Peak or my favorite, Lake Superior, and being blind. The beauty is there, but you just can't see it. And so when Jesus shines his light into our lives, what he does is he opens our eyes to see God for who he truly is. To see God in his beauty, in his glory, and his majesty. And our hearts are captivated by God and his glory. And we come to believe in him. And we come to know him as our God. And then back in Isaiah 49, verse 9 describes Jesus' work of bringing people out of darkness and into the light in terms of bringing people out of prison. Look at the beginning of verse 9 saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, 
up here. When you're in darkness, you're held captive in the prison of your own sin. And Jesus came to set the prisoners free. He came to break open the doors of the dungeon and to bring us out into the light so that instead of being controlled by our sin, we can instead be controlled by the Holy Spirit and live our lives to the glory of God. And so, when you put all this together, you see that when a person's in darkness, it means that they're separated from God. That's what it means to be in darkness, to be separated from God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so if you're in darkness, that means that you don't know the living God. And all of us here were once there, weren't we? We know what this is like. We were, we were blind. We were separated from God. We were held captive in the dungeon of our sin. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're still in the darkness. And if that's the case for you, we're really glad that you're here this morning. And maybe you've never even thought of yourself as being in the darkness. But if you think about it now, you don't actually know the God who created you. Maybe you've heard some things about him, but you don't see him as beautiful. And this morning, God has a word for you here in Isaiah 49. Jesus is the light that you need, and he offers himself to you freely. In fact, Jesus died and he rose so that people like you and me could be set free from the prison of our own sin. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind so that we could see God in his beauty, so we could be captivated by his love, his mercy, his power, his goodness. He came so that we could actually know the living God. Don't you want to know your creator? Don't you want to enjoy his love and his kindness and his mercy? You can know him because Jesus is the light for the nations. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've never done so before, that even in this moment that you would turn to Jesus, that you would turn away from the darkness of sin, that you would embrace Jesus and believe in him as the Savior who died and rose so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And if you will do that, his, his light will flood into your life. And then brothers and sisters who have received the light of Christ, oh, how thankful we should be not just this Thanksgiving weekend, but all throughout the year. Oh, how grateful we should be that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it good to be able to say, brothers and sisters, I once was blind, but now I see. Praise God that he sent his Son on a mission to be a light for the nations, to bring his salvation to the very end of the earth, and to bring his salvation to you and me. And so the first six verses here in Isaiah 49 have shown us that Jesus came to shine the light of salvation into our hearts and to all the nations for the glory of God. This is his mission. And as we continue now into the rest of the passage, I want you to see that Jesus' mission will be accomplished. He will shine the light of salvation to every tribe and language and people and nation. In other words, if I can say it this way, the word of God is bold enough to tell us that the mission of Jesus is invincible. Let me point out two ways that this passage makes that point. First of all, verse 7 promises that kings and princes will bow down before Jesus. Thus says the Lord, 
the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. So this is the Father speaking to the Son. And he says, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Throughout the last 2,000 years, this has happened countless times, hasn't it? Kings and princes have come to faith in Christ and they have become his worshipers. And I want you to think about what that tells us about God. It tells us that God has the power to overcome anyone's unbelief and to bring them to the light of Christ. The reason that I say that is because if there's anybody who would be inclined to resist the gospel, anybody who would, be, who would want nothing to do with Jesus, it's a king or a prince. People who are in the, in the highest positions of authority are not eager to acknowledge there's actually a king who's far higher than me. <laughs> and my power is nothing compared to his power. I am completely under his authority. Kings don't, don't want to do that at all. But God promises here that kings and princes will prostrate themselves before King Jesus. In other words, they will recognize that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, and they will surrender themselves to him in repentance and faith. And so that tells us that God can overcome the unbelief of any heart, even the hardest heart if he chooses to do so. A second way that the text makes the point that Jesus' mission is invincible is found down in verse 12. Verses 8 through 11 are are full of wonderful uh, new Exodus language. They'd be well worth meditating on this week if you have time, but we're just going to skip down to verse 12 right now. And it says, Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. So God is promising in this verse that people from all over the world will come home to Jesus. And remember, back in verse 1, that this passage is addressed to you peoples from afar. And now in verse 12, there's this promise, Behold, these shall come from afar. It's the very same language in the Hebrew text. Isaiah is showing us that that people from all the nations, even the far-off people groups at the end of the earth, will hear this message and they're going to come to Jesus. They're going to come from the north and from the west. And the end of the verse says that they will come from the land of Syene. Now where is the land of Syene? I didn't learn where Syene was in my eighth grade geography class. I'm guessing that you probably didn't either. That's because nobody knows where it is. The Bible scholars are stumped by this. And that may actually be part of the point. Alec Matier, who, who was a, a wonderful Old Testament scholar and wrote a number of great books about Isaiah, he suggests that Isaiah is deliberately being obscure here. And that Isaiah's point is that even if they are in lands you haven't heard of, the Lord knows them and will bring them. Isn't that beautiful? When Isaiah wrote this, Nobody in Israel even knew that North America exists. Isaiah probably never imagined that somewhere off at the ends of the earth, 
there's this place called Minnesota where you can actually walk on the lakes in the winter. But here we are in this far-off land and we're gathered together as God's people to worship Jesus together. Brothers and sisters, we are living proof that God keeps a promise of verse 12. And right now, do you think that there just might be some unreached people groups that Christians don't even know about? Maybe a little tribe hidden somewhere in the jungles of Papua New Guinea? Maybe a small people group with their own language hidden in Delhi or Mumbai? I think it's certainly possible. I think it's very likely, in fact. But the Word of God promises that all the nations, all the unreached peoples, even the ones that we haven't even discovered yet, they will be reached with the gospel. And at least some, not all, of course, but at least some from every tribe, language, people, and nation will be rescued from darkness and they will come to the light of Christ. I think that this should make us very hopeful, very, very hopeful as we think about the cause of global missions. At the end of history, nobody's going to be able to say, you know, God was able to reach most of the nations, but this one, people group was, this one people group was just too hard for God to reach. They were, they were just too far off. God couldn't get the gospel there. Or they were so entrenched in their own religion that God couldn't change their hearts. That's not going to happen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is God's plan for history. It's going to happen. Jesus died to ransom people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And he will make them a kingdom and priests to our God. Revelation 5. They're going to hear the good news and some from every tribe will come to him. And so the mission of Jesus is invincible. He will accomplish his mission as the light for the nations so that God's salvation may reach to the very end of the earth. And so now that we've looked at this passage in Isaiah 49, we need to ask one very important question. How does the light of Christ go to the nations? How does it reach to the end of the earth? Jesus himself is not physically present on earth right now, going around everywhere and preaching the gospel. And so how is this invincible mission going to be accomplished? The answer that Isaiah gives us is that the light of Christ transforms his people so powerfully that we shine his light to the world. God's plan to reach the far-off land of Syene and God's plan to reach your neighborhood is very clear. You and I receive his light. His light changes us and then we shine his light to the neighborhoods and to the nations. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60, we're going to look at the first three verses there. Isaiah, Isaiah himself shows us this in chapter 60. So in verses 1 and 2, Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. 
And so there's the idea of Christ shining upon his people. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, then this has happened in your life. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, brothers and sisters. And now with that in mind, I want you to look at verse 3. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That is amazing. You are going to shine. First, God fills your life with his light and then you shine and the nations will come to your light. My daughters used to have a glowing star stickers on the ceiling in their bedroom. Maybe some of your kids have had those same kind of stickers in their own bedroom at home. If the lights were on in, the, in their bedroom for a while in the evening, then when we would turn off the lights at bedtime, the stars would glow. It wouldn't work if, uh, if the lights had been off in the evening, but if the lights were on, something would happen inside those little star stickers so that they could glow in the dark. That's what Jesus does in the lives of his people. That's what Jesus does in his church. His light works into our hearts and it transforms us so powerfully that we begin to glow. We begin to shine his light into the darkness around us. This is why Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. You, followers of Jesus, are the light of the world. Well, wait, isn't Jesus the, world, the light of the world? Well, of course he is. But as we trust in him and we walk with him and we gaze upon his beauty and as we know him in his glory, he utterly transforms us. In fact, the Apostle Paul even so, goes so far as to say in Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are light in the Lord. And so, blood-bought family, let's shine. <laughs> Wherever God has placed you, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your relationships with unbelievers, let's be the light of the world and bring the light of Christ to a world in darkness. Let's bring his good news to the world around us. And so as we shine the light of the gospel through our words and through our works, what should we expect I just want to ask that question. What kind of expectations should we have as we evangelize? Well, I think, I want to mention two things. First of all, we can expect that our evangelism will be challenging. We can expect that it could be difficult. It was for Jesus, right? I mean, it says so here in verse 4. I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Oh, how many times Jesus shared the gospel and it was rejected by those who heard him. John 1 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And if the world rejected Jesus, the one who's the light of the world with a capital L, then we shouldn't be surprised if our efforts to shine his light are not always welcomed. But secondly, we should expect that if we persevere in prayerful dependence on God, our evangelism will ultimately bear fruit. Why is that? It's because God has promised that this mission will be accomplished. God will bring people from afar, from the very ends of the earth. Kings, princes, some of the very hardest of hearts 
will bow down before King Jesus. And so at the end of the day, we're called to be faithful in our gospel witness, and it's up to God to call people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In the church that I pastored in Iowa, there was an elderly saint. His name was Don. He's been with the Lord in heaven now for the last couple of years. And Don loved sharing his faith. And I remember him telling me about one time that he was sharing the gospel and he just completely stumbled through his gospel presentation. And he got done and he he just thought that was terrible. It didn't make any sense at all. And kind of with his head down, he just very sheepishly asked this man, so do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And the man said, yes. And Don told me, I could hardly, I could hardly believe it. I almost asked him, are you sure? <laughs> the power to save belongs to God. He can use our most feeble, humble efforts to bring people from death to life. And so even though we can expect our evangelism to be challenging, we can also be very hopeful. We should be very hopeful. In fact, the, the t- whole tenor of Isaiah 49 is very, very hopeful, isn't it? Do you remember the U-Haul? <laughs> Jesus is the one who does all the heavy lifting. And so let's be prayerful, let's be patient, let's persevere in shining the light of Christ, and let's look forward with hope and anticipation to what God is going to do. And so as we conclude, I just want to very briefly give you three words of encouragement, three applications to encourage you. First of all, let the light of Christ shine into your heart and transform you. You know, the, the point of this sermon is, to not, is not to make anyone feel guilty. You know, like, you'd better be sharing the gospel more. That's not, that's not the point. The, the first thing that all of us need to do, including me, is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to let his light shine into our hearts, to let, his, to let his light work its way into the dark corners of our souls and to rejoice in the goodness of our Savior and his gospel. As we do that, as the light of Christ penetrates into our hearts, we're changed. And our desire to shine the light of Jesus grows. And so, seek his face. Enjoy him. Enjoy his face shining upon you. Secondly, let me encourage you very practically to think about the, the non-Christians that are already in your life. Probably all of us here have at least eight or ten, maybe fifteen non-believers that are just in the normal circle of our, our friends and family members. And so, would you pray for them consistently? Would you pray for opportunities to share Jesus with them? And think about specific ways that you could invest in their lives. And then, would you show them the love of Christ just in practical ways and build relational bridges for the gospel? One, way to, one great way to do that is by inviting your unbelieving friends or neighbors into your home for a meal. You know, you have to eat 21 times a week. And so, why not invite your unbelieving neighbors to join you one or two of those times every week? And then, When they come, just be who you are as a Christian. Show love to them. Be real. Don't hide the fact that you're a Christian. And take the opportunities as you get them to to tell them about Jesus and why he's your treasure. And then third, let's persevere in shining the light of Christ. 
one of the challenges in evangelism is that God's timetable is often longer than ours. My, my friend Don prayed for his brother for 50 years before he became a Christian. And then when he was in his 70s, he came to trust in Jesus. Maybe you have a family member or a friend that you've been praying for for decades and you're still hoping for them to be saved. God is not going to tell you whether or not that person will eventually come to faith, but he does call us to be patient and to persevere and to keep on loving them and to keep on speaking the truth of the gospel. J.I. Packer wrote in his book on evangelism and the sovereignty of God, Whence comes the patience that is so indispensable for evangelistic work? From dwelling on the fact that God is sovereign in grace and that his word does not return to him void, that it is he who gives us such opportunities as we find for sharing our knowledge of Christ with others, and that he is able, in his own good time, to enlighten them and bring them to faith. Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have the incredible privilege of reaching out to this dark world with the light of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you have come, that you have not left us in the darkness, but that you have come and you have brought the light of God and you have shown into our hearts. As many of us as call you our Savior and Lord, we know you, we know your light, and we're so grateful for that, Lord Jesus. And so we ask that you would help us to gaze upon your beauty and that you would shine your light into our hearts more and more that you would transform us to be more like you and that you would shine through us to our neighborhoods, to our lost family members and friends, and to the nations of the world. And so thank you, Lord Jesus. Be exalted in us and through us as we shine your light. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.